Okay, let's record. Three, two. Okay, which, wh- which podcast is this? You have a lot of them. This is this is the Paul and Ashley podcast on nonpartisan evangelical. Oh, okay. Are we recording this? For those willing to listen, learn, and have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Challenging the mindset of right-wing Christianity and encouraging people to have their minds renewed and hearts transformed. What knucklehead, mush-for-brains evangelical leaders are trying to... To, to overthrow Trump. It's a special kind of dumb and calling yourself a Christian. Let's have better conversations about the life modeled in the Bible so we can truly tell the world God is not mad at you. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. All right, cool. We're here together for another Friday conversation. Is that what we're calling this? I guess so. <laughs> I just I just named it okay, just now. There you go. Hey, that you know, we'll have to put some branding around that. <laughs> this is the second Friday in a row that you and I have sat down and said, like, okay, let's talk about the week. Like mm-hmm. what just happened? What have we been talking about, you know, as we've gone out on our nightly walks together or you know, what's happening in the news around us and uh, I guess I guess Therefore, this is the Friday conversation. It's our Friday conversation. Yes, here we are. I'm Paul Swearingen, the nonpartisan evangelical, and you're Ashley Swearingen, a nonpartisan evangelical. That's right. That's right. You. We talked about this last week. You are the nonpartisan evangelical. I am a nonpartisan <laughs> evangelical because there should be and hopefully are many 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 nonpartisan evangelicals and we're defining that as we go along everyone asks what does that mean and you know there shouldn't even be any connection between the two but the reality is we live in America and we live in um, a church culture where politics and religion are so intricately intertwined like we just have to call it out like yeah. hey church do you realize that we are completely political and so you decided you're going to go ahead and use the words of the political system and attach it to the church because it is the reality of what's going on in our church right and a lot of people misinterpret that as like okay paul's going to say bad things about both sides right. all the time and it's going to be equal and and the answer is no i am an evangelical minister and so I'm going to call out my people. And non nonpartisan means I'm coming out of this partisan evangelical church, this this ideologically and theologically intertwined belief system of what what we could call the white evangelical church. Because I think that's a major problem in our culture today. I think we're causing we're a major cause of the division in our culture. That's causing big problems, and so I'm trying to call my people out of that. Your people being other white evangelical, correct lay people, ministers, parachurch organizations, etc. Yeah. And so people are always going to be, yeah, but the other side does it too. I'm like, yeah, yeah but yeah. but I don't let my kids get away with that excuse, and I'm not going to let our people get away yeah. with that because we actually have this book called the Bible that tells us not to be that way. The other side may not have that book, I don't know, but we do. 
Well, actually, I think the Bible is on the other side, too. <laughs> Many of our friends don't believe so. I know. That's kind of, that's another topic for another day. So do you, when you started the Nonpartisan Evangelical, now it's been about a year and a half that mm-hmm. you've been consistently putting content up on social media, recording podcasts, inviting conversation um, from people around the country, experts, etc. Could you have imagined 18 months ago that we would be sitting here today looking at dealing with processing through our nation's heart like being being filleted open and being in the middle of probably the most significant we should just pause for the record and say your alarm going off is it's 559 we're recording this that is our area code in Fresno, and so that's your reminder to pray for Fresno. Right. At 5.59 every day, my alarm goes off and just say a quick prayer for Fresno. Yeah, God, help us in Fresno. So it's appropriate that we would hear that in the background. But what I was saying is that, do, do you think you would have known that we would have been here in this moment of deep, deep, deep racial wounds coming to the surface for all to see? And... Again, shining a light on the heart of the American church and the white evangelical church. Would you have anticipated that 18 months ago? I certainly didn't anticipate the the racial interactions we're having now. I certainly didn't anticipate there being a virus that would, even that is dividing us politically, whether to wear a mask or not is becoming a political issue, or at at least more people on the right are, are... more likely to not want to wear a mask and people on the left are more likely to want to wear a mask. So no, I didn't anticipate what was coming. But you and I have been on this journey for quite a while of like, hey, there's something wrong with this partisan religion that we live in in the white evangelical church. And I think we have had some sense that it was going to come to a head in some way in the not so distant future. So I guess the answer to the question is yes and no. No way did we anticipate the things that have been happening in 2020, one of the craziest years ever. And it's only halfway through. Yeah. But but we've known for some time, I think, or, or just had some feeling in our in our core and our spirit that this was going to come to a head at some point in the near yeah. future. Well, so that's a kind of a long lead in to our topic for this Friday. Yeah. Uh, this Friday conversation. And we we want to press in more on the white evangelical church and we want to ask the question is the white evangelical church like a cover-up for just a long history of racism yeah so a a nice light topic for this friday and (laughs) it's gonna make a lot of friends for us i'll tell you that uh there are folks who are like probably reaching for the the delete right now on uh on their their iphone and saying like i don't want to be talking about that but here's the deal you and I are coming at this just saying like, we have got to submit our hearts to the bright light of of God in this moment. And we have to allow ourselves to evaluate every square inch of history, every square inch of current practice, and every square inch of our own emotional and spiritual posturing. Like, where are we right now? Because because it's just really clear like this is what's being being called of us you know so it should be uncomfortable as my black friends are telling me these days like we are so tired of you white people not being willing to be uncomfortable and i had one of my dear dear close friends pastor dj kreiner from saint rest baptist church here in fresno said a couple of weeks ago to uh, me and some of my colleagues 
I'm always coming to the white man's table and nothing changes. I want you to come to my table. And what that means is we have to show up and have very humbling conversations. And so we just want to do that together. And we're going to probably say some pretty, maybe some kind of explosive things. We're going to read a letter or parts of a letter that was submitted this week. We'll talk about that in a second. But like, why not, right? Why not? Why not just kind of get in there and blow some stuff up? I think we're in a in a time in history where we're supposed to be offended a little bit. So it will test our hearts. And I wrote a, a blog last week about standing out in a protest. And, and I said, the main reason I went is because I wanted to be uncomfortable. I think it's time for us to want to be uncomfortable so we're really checking yeah. where where we are mentally, physically, spiritually yeah. in interacting with the other people in our culture. The, and it's important for me to say, I think you have a diff- slightly different view of this. And so you should say- You said way. we were fighting about this before we, we came on the podcast. <laughs> we were. We, like, our, our, we weren't all the way to capital F fighting, but we were like starting to like sit up a little bit <laughs> in each of our chairs and like getting a little snippy with each other. Because I think it's really important to say, I the, one of the reasons why I feel uncomfortable talking about race and the things that God is stirring in my heart right now is because I can hear myself talking and I think it sounds like I've got it all figured out, that I somehow have some elevated way of thinking and I'm really, really kind of embarrassed to come off like I'm somehow evolved or better than or like I don't know just hypocritical in some way so it's so that honestly that's one of the things that keeps me from being more vocal about in in white and in black spaces about about where I believe we need to be moving so I'm going to put that out there everything that you and I are about to talk about it's I think it kind of sounds a little bit like you and I are are being too self-righteous and so I am aware of that and I don't want that to be true it actually may be true that we are being kind of self-righteous in which case i guess i need to submit that to god as well but i want to say that i'm sensitive to it and this was our fight you're not sensitive to that you say more about what you were saying earlier if you have a, a message to share you share it and if and you know i feel like we i feel like we've been giving given something to share with our community we're on a journey. We're not going to be perfect on it. But I'm actually kind of tired of apologizing for it because I want people just instead of trying to find ways to defend themselves against the message that I have to share, which is something has to change in the white evangelical church for our culture to be healed. And instead of defending ourselves from that, I would like for people to open their freaking hearts (laughs) and hear the message. So I'm not going to apologize for it anymore because I know... This is the message for the season. Now, I hear what you're saying. I'm not perfect. And I certainly can't, you know, tell a black person, a Hispanic person, a person of color, a person from a marginalized community how they should live and what they should think. But as having a message to the white evangelical church saying, stop defending yourself, let yourself be offended and hear what God has to say in this season. I'm kind of done apologizing for that and worrying about if somebody wants to tell me, hey, that's divisive. Because whenever we hear a message that challenges our heart, our initial response is going to be like, ouch, that hurts. And you and I have done that. We've allowed our heart to be filleted open. So that doesn't make us perfect or more righteous than anybody. It just makes us on a journey 
that we think is really valuable and important and has been freeing for us. And we're inviting other people into that journey. And, you know, it makes sense that we would come at this from different perspectives, because in my day job, so so much of of the work that I do, I'm with black led organizations or Hispanic led organizations and you know people of color in Fresno were a very diverse community and and I hear the words in out loud people say this directly but I also it also just like rings in my mind like where were you on these issues when we needed you when you were mayor yeah I hear that like that's got to be tough I, to hear it's a really hard it's a really hard thing to hear. Maybe that's a topic for another And your response is, show. yeah, let me tell you how, what you guys did to me while I would know. I'm, I'm kidding. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> that, that everything about what you just did and said is wrong. Okay. Um, good. You, you, for people can't see, but you did like a head shake there too. No. The thing is, it's, is that's actually a normal, healthy human response. When somebody says, where were you? We go, well, you want to know where I was? You want to know how hard it was? And that's a very natural response. The defensiveness. The defensiveness. Yeah. And that's what we have to lay down when verses in the Bible say, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Turn. Absolutely. That's what humbling yourself means. You have to lay down your defenses. You lay down your weapons and you lay down your protection and say, okay, I'm opening myself up. Yeah. So so anyway that that's a good okay. that's a good little like uh, rabbit trail there but but I hear so I hear that I hear where were you I I do I do know where my heart was when I was serving as mayor and I do know the the work that I pushed and the things that I worked on I know I know where I was going and I actually feel like it all is part of the big onion the layers of the onion that have to get unpeeled and I also am aware of how unaware I was and still am to a great extent of the issues and the struggles of people of color and the, the oppression that we've experienced in our culture and particularly in Fresno. So so I think there is an, a very honest response that is, I actually think my record is is good. I'm proud of my record. And I also realize that, that I was super unaware of a lot of important things as mayor. So that's what that makes sense for me as to like why I'm coming from this place of it's uncomfortable to talk about this because I, I think that's a really indicting question and it's a little hard for me to hear and think about from your perspective. The last you know whatever ten years, fifteen years for you has been entirely in the evangelical in the church, and and you you are constantly beat it about beat about the head for for injecting this notion into the church that man things need to change we really need to wake up we don't know what it looks like but we have to let god evaluate our hearts you're always being beat up for that and you're just saying i'm sick and tired of that that is that is a defense mechanism to keep from dealing with the heart of the matter and so i can understand why you would react that way and the interesting thing is when you put our two experiences together the two sides of the coin that is the swear engine household the what i hear a lot from communities of color in fresno for example is we need the white people to be leading with other white people and please stop coming to our table and like trying to do your charity go back to your centers of influence to the white evangelical church and talk to them which is what you're doing right so anyway and so we had a friend send us a letter this week yeah and talk about offending us this letter was as offensive as it gets well not to uh, but, i mean i think we were actually excited about it but we it's, were but there's still a little bit you read and you go ooh. 
Wait it's a very second. indicting. Okay, so first of all, are we? You're going to put this up on your um, page so Correct. that people can read it for themselves. Okay. MPEpodcast.com. So this was sent to you from Elihu Harris, who's a former state legislator and um, retired now uh, chancellor of a community college district. Long former time, mayor of Oakland. Former mayor of Oakland. Longtime Bay Area leader, political leader, uh, lawyer by training, and also an African American, and loves God, reads his Bible every day. And he's had a huge influence in both of our lives. So he sent you this a letter. A Christian Democrat, by the way, I, I which some of our friends which, say can't, cannot exist. I know. But I know the man loves Jesus and is a lifelong Democrat. Side note, I have had so many fun slash funny conversations with activists in the Republican Party. I asked them, do you pray for Democrats? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit <laughs> can stir the heart of a Democrat? And I've never seen such a blank look, such a deer in the headlights, like, no, dear God, God does not exist on the other side of the political aisle. We could drop the mic right now and just say, are you freaking kidding me? If that is where your head is at, that you think Republicans have cornered God, like, my good Lord Almighty. Anyway. Most friends I have won't admit that they believe that. But they really do. But then when you start drilling yeah. down into it, they're like, oh, yeah. yeah. But then we do we do know some that write blogs that say you vote for a Democrat and you're voting for evil. It's just, it's, it's, it's crazy. Ugh. I think if I say the word indictment one more time, <laughs> I'll have to go back and talk about. How. So you have the letter okay, in so your hand. The letter hand. is written by Dr. Frederick Douglas Haynes III. He's the senior pastor of Friendship West Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. He's the co-founder of Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference. All right. Okay. So, Get ready. A couple of the excerpts from the letter. This is very long. He's an African-American man. Did you did you mention that? Yeah. Okay. Four pages uh, front and back. Okay. Single space font. All right. And it is a tr- dear colleagues in Christ. So he is writing to the white evangelical church. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I'm going to Particularly pull out, pastors, I think. Pastors. Yeah. So I'm going to pull out some excerpts. He says, we are three, talking about African-American, we are three times more likely to die from COVID-19 than our white counterparts. The racial sickness beneath the surface of the virus deadly spread in our communities has made international headlines, but there have been no healing words from you denouncing the disparities. No show of Christian force to confront the fissures that allow these medical and racial viruses to thrive goes on in the next paragraph he says we are sure that you understand that many in our community are emotionally drained and in pain because of the never-ending nightmare that has unfolded during this pandemic our sorrow has been magnified by your appalling silence and your glaring absence from the scenes of the crimes calling for justice skip down a paragraph is the sin of silence in the face of suffering of an enslavement of black people being passed on through the generations? Has it been passed down through the spiritual genes of white evangelical Christianity to ignore injustice while being complicit with systems of racism? Honestly, it feels that way to us. Wow. We have heard, but we hope it is not true, that white evangelical Christians don't stand for justice for black people because they are, quote, more white than they are evangelical. Ooh. Wait, wait, read that Read that one again. We have heard, but we hope it is not true that white evangelical Christians don't stand for justice for black people because they are more white than they are evangelical. Ooh. Okay, it, it, wow. gets, it gets better. Dr. Renita Weems says, quote, Make no mistake about it, evangelicalism is white supremacy disguised as religion. Okay, we just lost a whole bunch of people on the <laughs> podcast right yeah. there. Again, allow your heart. 
Put down your defenses for a second and hear what you might hear through our friends here. I'm going to read. Okay, this is the last paragraph I'm going to read, and then we're going to stop and talk about this okay. stuff. So I'm going to read. I'm going to read what follows that, which is probably the most indicting line in this whole letter, because it gets hopeful. Dr. Renita Weems says, "Quote: Make no mistake about it. Evangelicalism is white supremacy disguised as religion." And then he goes on to say, "You will have to interrogate your faith walk to determine if this is true. We will just say that from our perspective, it appears to be true." Oof. We do know that the original sin of the white church in America is racism. White evangelical Christianity was complicit in the slave trade and the enslavement of our ancestors. White evangelical Christianity modeled and supported Jim and Jane Crow segregation. The track record of white evangelical Christians on issues of race and racism has been abysmal, but the relationships and Christian fellowship that many of us have with you have given us the hope that this generation can be the generation that has the moral imagination and Christian love to overcome the sins of the past. We have faith that we can create a new church in America that will in turn and in time create a new America. So it ends with a hopeful message. Yeah. Yeah, well, that paragraph ends with a hopeful message. It goes on. (laughs) There are other... So we'll put that up on the website so people can read the the whole of the letter. everybody. It's Paul. Thanks for letting me interrupt. And thanks for joining Ashley and I as we sort of have our weekly processing out loud with you here on the nonpartisan evangelical. I also want to invite you to a special part of the NPE community. That is our Patreon page. Patreon is a website that helps creatives do what they do and get some support from people at a, at a very low level. Ours is $5.99 a month at its smallest level. And you get some special opportunities with Ashley and me. We do some things just for our Patreon community. I'm going to start doing some of my Bible thoughts uh, from time to time on there as well, if that's something that would interest you. And one of our major features right now is the release of my novel, Joseph Comes to Town When the Religious Right Becomes Religiously Wrong in audiobook series form. I take a few of the chapters, read them as a segment and record them, put them on the Patreon page for the nonpartisan evangelical Patreon community. And then I do a special exclusive commentary of what those chapters mean to me as well, why they were written the way they were. And I think you'll find that interesting. So if you want to join us on that, go to my website, nppodcast.com and hit that Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner. Let me give you a little sample of what the audiobook series sounds like this is a chapter where our protagonist, Saul Thompson, who's the pastor of a mega church and sort of the right wing evangelical leader in his town, is speaking to the conservative Republican elected mayor, Andy Strapp, who's a young guy just elected mayor in that city. Saul often felt for Andy, a young man constantly being pulled on by everyone, from party leaders to beckering citizens. Andy owed his election to Beckering's conservative evangelical community, a group of people who take great pride in their ability to elect people from their own ranks and expect a lot from those afforded their loyalty. How are you doing, Andy? asked Saul as Christie handed the mayor a glass of water and exited the office. Things are pretty crazy, Pastor, said Andy as he leaned forward on the couch. I thought people would appreciate me trying to help them, but these days everyone is as mad as a possum caught in a hen house net. 
You know I'm always praying for you, Saul responded, bouncing his foot a bit, hanging at the end of a leg crossed over the other to give himself a release from the tension he felt rolling off of Andy. For a guy like Andy Strap, who lived for the cheering crowd, this life had to be difficult to bear. Matthew McGinnis tells me not to worry about complainers, Andy shared. He says keep punching the issues our people care about, and that'll get you to the state legislature. But... Andy seemed to look through Saul more than at him as he paused. But you actually want to help people, said Saul, finishing the statement. Saul knew Andy was sincere. Although fairly new to the Christian faith, the mayor held prayer meetings and Bible studies right in the mayor's office, much to the consternation of the town's liberal wing. The prayer meetings were attended by Saul and some of the other elite members of BCC, as well as council members, city management staff, and others. Separation of church and state, screamed the opponents. But Saul and his people enjoyed being in power and having a government lean toward Christian cultural causes. The prayer meetings were known as a place to gain influence with city officials. Opponents call it the pray-to-play method of getting projects greenlit by the city. These people felt this was unfair, as anyone holding wrong positions on social issues such as gay marriage or abortion were not welcome. Helping people is what got me into this, Andy confirmed. That means serving as a good mayor, not taking care of Matthew and the party. Andy ran his big right hand through his thick mane and leaned back. But the really important issues we care about are party issues, responded Saul. Does our party not care about potholes? Andy verbally counterpunched as he sat forward to grab his water glass. And how about putting together a good city plan and a budget meeting the needs of the people? Does God not care about those issues, Pastor? So that's kind of what it sounds like in our audiobook series, and you can get that right now. Our first four segments are up. The next is coming soon on that Patreon website. So if you would like to join and help support the cause of the nonpartisan evangelical, go to my website, npepodcast.com, click on that Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner, and join us in this journey together. We would really appreciate it, and we love the folks we have on there right now. Again, npepodcast.com is the website. Click the Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner, and it'll take you to the site, and you can join our Patreon community. Now, back to my conversation with Ashley as we process things with you on the Nonpartisan Evangelical at NPEpodcast.com. Can I just say one more? I love this line here because okay. this is helpful to the discussion. Racism is not simply about you being mean to us or calling us the N-word. Right. Racism is structural. And then he goes on to list the policies in our country that have been structural blocks to to economic opportunity. So, so let me jump in real quick. I think this is really, really important because I think a lot of white people in in these last few weeks have been saying, I'm not racist. And they can justify that in a bunch of ways. My family didn't have slaves. I have black friends, you name it. So this is defining where we all are a part of racism and need to own what, what we may call systemic racism. So just making and I that, just, emphasizing this is, that. Yeah, this is just a great laundry list. And, you know, you could you could go look up each one of these things and even just one of these policies or practices, you could see the impact, the multi-generational impact. But, for example, the Black Codes, the Dred Scott decision... Plessy versus Ferguson, convict leasing system, voting poll taxes, redlining, 
blockbusting and exclusion from FHA loans up until the 1950s are just some of the targeted policies that hurt and hindered our communities. Wow. And then I would add white flight or economic flight, if we want to call it that, socioeconomic flight. When which is which is redlining, tying, tied to redlining, right? It, it truly is. It's, yep. it's another form of redlining. And just being... And just being sort of willfully ignorant of systemic race racist issues i think also is a contribution to to the issue that we're we're being called out of now and again you and i had to come to some realization of like wow we've been kind of ignorant of this stuff and and will ourselves on the journey so again you're right we're we're not totally woke in this we're just inviting people to start to yeah. challenge ourselves it's like Am I a part of this? And start yeah. to think about that. And I think that like the part about silence is sin. You know, I mean, that's that's probably where you and I have been unaware, blissfully unaware and therefore silent and yeah. therefore complicit in in people being oppressed. And let's OK, so let me just pause with that and just say, you know, obviously the time now god is allowing all this stuff to surface and so we get we get why we're talking about this but maybe for people who are not as maybe this is taking taking them off guard quite a bit right why why is why are we talking about race i mean what's the biblical mm. the biblical connection here from your perspective well when we hear the word sin as christians or maybe even in our culture what we think of is well, the old joke is don't drink or chew and don't date girls that do. Yeah, we, we think of behaviors, gay marriage, or you name the thing that the church looks at as sin. But the theme that is never ending in the Bible from start to finish is that sin is allowing in, injustice to flourish. It's, it's uh, on an ongoing basis, the Bible is saying you didn't take care of the poor, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the marginalized. And, and that is ultimately what the Bible says is the sin that really hurts God's heart. If you're not being a champion of justice for those that create, can't create justice for themselves. Okay, so I think I would add to that a little bit because okay. I think I think there's a little bit of whiteness on what you just said. Oh, really? Okay, how's that? <laughs> because I feel like what you just said kind of comes from this framework of it's our job to rush in and help okay, the, the downtrodden. All right. Okay, and and it is true that you know that generations of oppression do create you know the the very circumstances of you know people being left out of the economy all that kind of stuff but i actually think it's deeper than just that it is what is your view of another human being and do you see them the way god sees them do you agree with god and what god says about that person that race that ethnicity and if there's anything in you that says like well you know yeah, my race might be a little bit raw. I would never say this out loud, but I do really kind of have a stigma towards people of a different race or ethnicity. Like you're not agreeing with what God has to say right. about that person or that race of people. Well, and, and let me jump in. I, I don't think, and, and people generally will say, I don't believe that I'm any better than anybody else because of my race. Yeah, true. But where it comes through, what we are hearing from, let me say white people in this season is, is like, well, black people do commit more crimes. That those people in those parts of town 
We need more police there because more crime happens there. And so if we, if you really boil that down, what that has to come to, or, or here's another one that I've heard on social media. Well, there's, there's, the fathers aren't staying at the homes in those neighborhoods. And, and so, if, so we're either attributing that to a, a less than-ness in a particular race or group of people they commit more crimes. They're less likely to take care of their children and raise them well, blah, 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 blah. Or we have to step back and go, okay, if those are the statistics, there has to be a why. Right. And am I a part of the why? Right. Or am I silently ignorant of the why? Or am I unwilling to jump in and sort of figure out right. the why? Okay, so let's let's t- let's look at a couple of examples of where racism existed in the Bible. How about? Okay. Tell us about Jonah. Tell us about what God did to that guy and what he was trying. It was all about yeah. racism. That's a really good point. Thank you for bringing that up. I think every Christian ought to go read the four chapters of Jonah and particularly Jonah chapter four. I think you were telling me recently about somebody that was saying when we read the story of the of the Good Samaritan, you know, we're, we're never the bad people in the story. We're... We're, we're never, when we read the story of the woman caught in adultery, we're never the woman. You know, we're, we're never the Pharisee. We're always one of the good people standing That wasn't by. me, but I'll take credit because that's good, a good point. That's a good one. And so <laughs> read me. Jonah and say, I'm Jonah. You know, think of yourself as Jonah. So, what, so Jonah was asked by God to go preach to these people called the Ninevites. And Jonah hated the Ninevites. He was an Israelite. He was an Israelite. He was an, a Hebrew. He was yeah. an from Israel, hated the Ninevites because they had oppressed his people many times. They probably had killed a relative of his. He had every right in his heart. So they were warring people, they right? Were, they were, they they were, were enemies. enemies of the nation of Israel. And it would be like... Like, think like the about, Muslims Yeah, today. think about that in a modern day context. Like a country that we've been at war with, God was calling Jonah to go to that country. Yeah, and, and they were racially... Theologically, you know, religiously and governmentally different people. They were, again, like some may look at a Muslim terrorist today. And God said, I want you to go preach to those guys. And and Jonah said, hell no, I won't go. And he went in the opposite direction. And as many know the story, God provided transportation for him to get back through this big fish. And Jonah ended up in Nineveh and and preached to them. And the people were like, hey, this is pretty cool. We've been waiting for this to happen. And then Jonah went and sat on a high hill, hoping, above all hope, that God would destroy these people. He felt like they didn't deserve God's mercy. And and so when he realized that God was not going to kill his enemies, he got really angry at God. So angry, he was like, God, just kill me. I don't want to live in a world where you'll have mercy he on those was, people. He was literally in his heart and in, out of his mouth was telling God, do not be merciful to these people. They don't deserve they it. They don't deserve your mercy. Yeah. And what did God say? Back God to said, how's that working out for you? Because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the actual words of the scripture is, do you do well to think this way, Jonah? He's in my, I always put it this way. Like, who do you think you are, Jonah, <laughs> to tell me who I can and cannot have mercy on? Yeah. That's what God was saying. And and this 
plant is giving Jonah shade and the plant dies and Jonah gets really upset about the death of the plant and God says to him, you're upset about this plant dying that you had nothing to do with it existing at all and you're asking me to destroy 120,000 people and their livestock and their livelihood. And so, yeah, it's such an indicting story. And the interesting thing about Nineveh is it was located on modern day Mosul, which is a which is a town we know a lot about because it was the headquarters of ISIS. Yeah. So it's a great story of racism and God saying, do you do well to have the belief system you have about these other people? Yeah. So I don't know if we have time for this. If we don't, we could maybe talk about it next week. But Peter and Cornelius. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that now? I think we better. I I think we better hold off. Yeah, we we probably don't have a time. We do have children who have to eat dinner. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But it, it, it is a... God is constantly through the Bible saying, allow your heart to be tested. Do you do well to believe the way you believe? Yep. And and as Christians today, we're constantly saying those people don't do well to believe as they believe, but we rarely question our own belief system. And that's that's what we're trying to do in these days. So I think it's good to have practical ways to try to apply this kind of like okay. talking or thinking And so I'm going to suggest this for anybody who would take me up on this challenge. Paul's going to put this letter up. Hopefully by the time this podcast is up, the letter will be as well. So the letter will be like a companion to this podcast. So so do this. Print out this letter or upload it on your device and read it. Right? Read yeah. it word for word. I printed it out. I underlined things that stood out to me. I, I think you highlighted the whole lot. I almost so did. at that point, you're not highlighting I, I, anything. I mean, literally, like, read this letter. Meditate on this letter. Just between and you and, lay down you and God. your defenses. Just between you and God. And circle the things that are hard for you to hear that you want to just, like, yell out and be like, that's not true and that's not fair. And who, like, do, okay, pinpoint. Pay attention to your own heart when you read this. Where do you react that way, okay? And then take those things you've circled and literally in prayer and in meditation, imagine that you're laying that before God. And then and then say to yourself and to God, God, I submit this to you. If there's anything in this that I need to hear and I need to own, would you make it clear to me in a way that I can understand? Right. Simple prayer, walk away and pay attention to what happens. Yeah. Write it down. Maybe send Paul an email. You know, maybe just like record it somehow. Like, okay, I had this subtle feeling. I actually started to have different conversations. I hear the Lord saying different things to me now in my prayer time, whatever that may look like. To me, that's a practical example of submitting your heart to the Lord and just saying, God, I, I don't need to hold on to defensiveness or justification of my thoughts and behavior. I instead want to submit that to you. That's good. Yeah. I, I coach people all the time. I'm, I'm kind of good at this. You are good at this. <laughs> I coach people all the time on this idea of what pushes your buttons and examine why it pushes your buttons. And I think the politics right now of a lot of things, we need to look at why does that make me so angry? And so if I could talk about Hebrews chapter 3 here. This is our verse of the week, by the way. This is. This is our passage. And so I'll just read this real quick. In in Hebrews chapter 3, it says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And then I'm going to skip forward 
Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of the testing in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me and saw my works for 40 years and provoked me to anger. So what that is saying is the if you this is in the new testament this is after jesus was on earth after the crucifixion after the resurrection and the writer here is saying okay remember that story about where the slaves came out of egypt uh you know charlton heston was in the movie where they let my people go and moses led the people out into the desert and they were traveling across the desert to get to what was called the promised land which is modern day israel today and and so all along that journey, God is pointing them to the new. Now you're in a transition season and you're going into something new and you're really going to have to trust me to go into that new. And all the time they keep saying, why don't we just go back to Egypt? Yeah, it was horrible and we were oppressed, but we knew what was happening. We knew what was coming. It's not as messy as this thing we're walking through now. Freedom is messy. Oppression actually is pretty clean. And some, so we sometimes choose oppression. And so the Hebrew writer is saying, Jesus came to do the same thing. Let's get rid of this old thing and let's take you into this new thing. And that's going to be a messy process. And I feel like today we're in a, a similar season where we're being told, let's, let's get rid of this old system and let's move into this new. And I'm not talking about any particular thing. I'm just saying, let's Let's change our mindset from what we're defending over here into this freedom of this messy place where we're not exactly sure what it's going to look like, but, but we're standing for justice and we're leaning into the mess of this heart thing. And so it's saying, don't harden your heart when faced with that opportunity. And I think when we get defensive, when we hear a letter like the one you read there, Ashley, that's us hardening our heart to say, nah, let's just stay back with the old things, the way things were, because that's been comfortable for me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it makes sense. Okay. Yeah, it does. And I think like another way to, to think about when you say we stand for justice, like think of it this way. We, we stand for what God thinks. We, we, we want to be in agreement and in alignment with how he sees people and his heart for people. That's to me just like from a... I don't know, just kind of a practical faith perspective. That's the way I think about justice. I think about justice as being, I mean, God is perfect justice. And the, the reality is we'll never know perfect justice until, you know, until we're ultimately with him someday. But but our ambition our and our, our heart's desire is to partner with him to see that justice exist in this lifetime. And and so really that's, you know, as a, as a believer, like if you're a person of faith, and you know you're you've never you know maybe you're white you've never you know person of privilege whatever and you've never really had to think about structural racism and you're like yeah I don't really understand why I have to and like justice has almost become like this this word you don't want to touch because people maybe that you you don't understand what they're saying have been using it and you feel like it's a club on your head think of it this way justice equals God's view of people God's view of systems you know like and don't we want that don't we want like come on don't we want that yeah and i feel like if 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 we're not experienced like like i'm missing out right if there are parts of god's provision his justice for people in my lifetime in my community and on this planet i'm i'm being denied 
some freedom and some some of the 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 gifts that God has for society today, I'm I'm missing out. You know, so 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 having people walk into what God has for them, like that's good for all of us, you yeah. know. In Second Chronicles, the reward for humbling ourselves and praying and seeking God's ways instead of our ways is our land will be healed. And so if somebody's sitting here saying, why is America crazy like it is? What can we do about it? Humble yourself. Yes. Pray. Look for God's face. It says, seek his ways and turn from your ways and your land will be healed. So now taking that to a practical level again, in an oppressive situation when there are oppressors over an oppressed people like slavery in the South in America, that that brings an oppression over everybody because you're having to fight to keep that oppressive system in place it ultimately is uh, affecting everyone it's like cigarette smoke in a casino right so freedom brings freedom for us all so to take that to a really practical and then maybe a little bit selfish level in fresno when we have a system that keeps part of our city in poverty that impacts us all financially that as as you were going for mayor and we were and looking for financial solutions for the economy of Fresno what you realize is if you have a, an impoverished part of the city that that creates poverty for all the city that makes it hard for all of us to see our housing values to go up or service levels local revenue right. the ability to attract and retain Big higher employers quality jobs coming in. better educational opportunities i mean absolutely like we're all in the same boat on that yeah. so we can't say and and you know not to even mention the cost of law enforcement for that and how much how much that cost is for always all of chasing us. symptoms never yeah. able to like get out of that pursuit of just trying to deal with the symptoms and deal you know and invest in root causes that that create prosperity yeah so there is a spiritual prosperity we're we're fighting for here it says you know pray for the welfare of your city for in your city's welfare you'll find your welfare but there's also real literal financial implications for all of us as well if you want to go there as well so i i just what we're trying to say is this is not trying to charitably release some people from oppression this is trying to release us our society that's right our society we're all impacted yes okay so i made a note that next week's topic i think we should talk about white guilt okay (laughs) <laughs> do you think we do we sound white guilty? No, I actually want to <laughs> dig into that a little bit because that's another defense mechanism yeah. that I hear people in the white evangelical church of America like when you start pressing in a little bit and like Holy Spirit starts to reveal some stuff, there's always a voice that will come in and say, "No, no, no, put that away. Don't don't go in any further because now you're just falling prey to this white guilt." So I think we got to talk about that. Let's take that apart. Let's look at that, see if it's a real thing or if that's just another kind of excuse to not have our hearts filleted open by Holy Spirit, which I don't sounds, feel guilty. I feel pretty happy. I don't feel guilty right now. I'm just telling you, I hear this a lot right. from white friends and colleagues as I want to engage in this conversation. Then they just assume like, and they kind of look at me like sideways and like, oh, Ashley, you're being guilted by someone, aren't you? And the answer is no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. But anyway, so Again, I think we what should... we're asking people is do not harden your heart like yep. those guys did in the desert. Let your heart be open to the idea that there may be something you haven't discovered yet. Yeah. So we'll see if our weeks next week, if our 
whatever activities of the week land us in a place where we revisit that topic. We also ought to think a little bit more about the humble yourselves part of the verse that you keep quoting, because we're coming up on 4th of July, we're coming up on a holiday where a lot of a lot of white evangelical Americans, well, we're not going to church right now because of COVID, but you know, Lee Greenwood will be a very popular how to be an American women lead. And thanks. But anyway, this this it reminds me of the like, we'll hear a lot of if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And I just have been around so many Christians in prayer, you know, settings where it's like that prayer turns into the oh God. Won't you stop other people from sinning right. when you're the one who's always pointing out? No, the very first step before even praying is humble yourselves. Yeah. So yourselves. We, yourselves, not Not God. ask for them to be exactly. humble. Would you please cause so-and-so to be humble? No, me. How, how am I supposed to get humble? Because my land will be healed if I can be humble, Christian Church of America. You want our nation to be healed? We are being called to our knees in humility. It's that simple. So as we go into the 4th of July, that's where we ought to be. We ought to be on our knees, owning our stuff that this letter starts to call out, that Dr. Haynes calls out. This is this is how we heal our land. It's our humility that will do it. And again, your guidance for people is go on the NPPodcast.com website, read this letter. Yeah. And let it push your buttons and then start to ask, why is this pushing my buttons? Is there a humbling of myself? Yeah. I can do at this time. Yeah. That might take me into a new space. All right. Our children are starving. Okay. And I think our listeners are done. I think they're done. They've heard what we have to say. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah. Have a great week.